Father, we just bring praise to you. We just worship you this day through song and through word, through our prayers. But Father, we are looking to you that you would guide and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I ask you to remember that today we're going to be taking in communion um, in the second part of worship. So you can feel free to gather your communion supplies at any time if you haven't already. And we're starting a new series today in the book of Philemon. My understanding or my reasoning behind doing this was really, I was praying to God of what, what should we go into next? Where do we go next? And so I was really drawn um, to a couple of the smaller letters, and, and this one just really resonated with me as I prayed over it. There's no massive implication of why this letter should be here other than uh, I spent time in prayer, and this is where I felt the Spirit led. And so we're going to take the next four weeks to go through the book of Philemon. Um, now, the reasoning that I've called it uh, of one who forgives is because the commentary I've been using broke it down into four sections of the introduction, and then we have three understandings of one who forgives. Why, the motivation, the action, just kind of looking at one who forgives, because that's really what the book of Philemon is about. It's a book of forgiveness, and it's interesting because it's a letter that Paul writes to an individual. It's very different. So what I'd like to do first, and what I'm going to do every week, is I'm going to read through the letter in its entirety, and then we'll kind of pick apart the few sections that we're going to go through. And I pray that this speaks to you in a sense of forgiveness. Maybe there is something in your life that you've been holding on to that you need to let go of. Maybe, uh, actually, you know, I'm going to stop using the word maybe. I think too many times preachers do that. We say maybe this, maybe that, trying to catch all. I know there are things in your life that you need to forgive. I know because there are so many things in my life that I've held on to it. Um, I love the Dixie Chick song where they say, like, they talk about forgiveness and, and forgetting, and it's like, uh, okay, time heals everything, and I, I can forgive, but I can't forget. And you really just hold on to that being that you're like, that's not true forgiveness. Forgiveness means you're letting go. You're not holding on. And, and really, that's where God speaks into through this letter of what Paul is writing to Philemon, is you need to forgive and forget. You need to have a letting go of that you don't just hold on to. So let me read this letter and then we'll dive in a bit. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker and, I'm going to mess these up guys, but Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, 
and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even for your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristocras, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. <clears throat> My ESV study Bible says this. This simplified letter approximates the letters that people ordinarily write. It's a letter. This is really just a letter of Paul writing to someone who he has spent time with and who has ministered to and who's ministered. It's a fellow worker in Christ, or we could say a fellow Christian, a fellow congregant. It would be as if I'm writing a letter to you uh, or you a letter to me. And so the, the study Bible goes on. It says, in contrast to the more stylized and literary five-part format that characterizes most New Testament epistles. This letter is a masterpiece of persuasion and can be analyzed in terms of how Paul favorable reception for the returning slave, where the normal response of the slave over would be vindictive. There's a very individualistic tone to this letter. While it is meant to be read out loud to the church in Philemon, this letter is to Philemon and specifically to a situation where his servant, his slave, has left. Paul's strategy follows that prescribed by Greek and Roman rhetoricians of the day. Begin by building uh, rapport and goodwill with an audience, and they do that through verses 4 to 10. Then lay out the facts in a way that will convince the mind or the intellect, which is verses 11 to 19. And finally appeal to the emotions emotions of the audience, which is verses 20 to 21. Paul really took the time to write this letter to Philemon to convince him, to appeal to him, not to command him as one of authority, but as one in the same fellowship, the same understanding, the same faith. 
saying this is what faith compels us to do. Be an example of that faith in your life and in this situation, in this moment. I believe in faith and I pray that you will do more. Paul really did it different with this letter as compared to Colossians or Ephesians, Galatians, other letters that he wrote. This is very individualistic and specific. It's really important to note that Paul authors this letter versus writing through a proxy. Um, what we're going to do right now, I'm going to tear apart the letter a little bit in its construction and, and finish with a little sermonette. In a few weeks, we're going to really pull more out, but we need to understand where we're coming from when we read this letter. There, there is a history and a, um, a foundation behind it. But Paul is the true author in this. There's no mention of um, I, Paul, write through, or someone else just kind of says hello in the middle of the letter, where they're like, uh, Tychius is known for doing that. He just kind of pops up halfway through the letter. It's just like, oh, hey, I'm here writing this for Paul. But Paul very much writes this letter with his own hand. And you you can see some different nuances in the writing. For me, I, I find it humorous that Paul just writes that he's an old man. Just like, I, Paul, an old man. It's very personal in that effect. And we need to look for the humor in these letters. While we hold them as scriptural and doctrinal, and they very much are, at the time, this was still a letter from Paul to a friend. This is still human to human. There's a relationship and a history here, and there is humor to be found. I mean, it's interesting that Paul was probably about 60 when he was writing this. He was about 30 at the time of Jesus' ministry. And here he is, 60 years old, just being like, I'm an old man, but let my experience pour into you. This letter was to be read to the entire church, even though it is a personal letter, which is noted in verse 2 when Paul greets the church in your house. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians were written likely around the same time. Uh, These are all kind of in Paul's Roman imprisonment, which can be read through Acts uh, chapters 27 and 28. I love when we can start stitching books of the Bible together. So we have Paul here in in the book of Acts and an imprisonment that's noted. And and then we also have the Colossian and the Ephesian letters that he's writing. And and then we have this uh, Philemon letter as well. And they're all connected and written around the same time. All three letters were actually sent with um, Tychicus and Onesimus. Like all three books note these two men. Again, just that stitching, the the linear connection. Philemon himself was a wealthy slave owner in Colossae. So we have the letter to the Colossians, but which is situated in Colossae because Colossians are from Colossae. Uh, but Philemon lives in that city as well. He's a wealthy slave owner, which is kind of about 161 kilometers uh, inland of Ephesus. So if Ephesus is kind of by the sea, we have uh, Colossae more inland, and Philemon's situated there, and Paul is sending kind of general area at the time. Philemon himself really did probably came to faith through the, the Colossian church. And when Paul greets, uh, greets, sorry, my apologies, greets Apophia, that's likely his wife. And Archippus is likely his son, the, fel- the sister and the, the fellow soldier, because they are noted, and then the rest is the church in Philemon's house. Paul's likely greeting his entire family, which he knows, as he's like, set aside a room for me. I'll be back. I'll be there with you. 
The study Bible again notes that because of the political status of Christianity, there were no buildings dedicated to church services. The early Christians met in private homes, and Philemon opened his home in Colossae, and some, uh, someone named Nyphia hosted the church in Laodicea. We can read about that in Colossians 4.15. But that really resonated with me in our current situation, is that we really are just meeting in homes. There are no church buildings for us to go to that we congregate and, and learn from. We are meeting in each other's homes. I mean, the set is designed to look like a home, to feel like it's our living room to your living room, which is where most of you are situated. I find that quite interesting and, and appropriate for the time that this letter is connecting to a home church. And in our time, we are all in home churches. I read one of those ridiculous memes that you see everywhere on the internet, and it's uh, this, this devil saying, look, I unleashed COVID-19, and I closed you of God beside him saying, well, realistically, I just opened up thousands of home churches. I think that's the beauty. There, while the building or the temple made by man does not exist or is not accessible, that doesn't mean the church is broken and dead. It actually means there's more little churches around the world, which is a beautiful thing. So please take time to pray in your home. Let it be a home church. Take time to pray with your children, your spouse, whoever you live with. Make sure that you are creating your space and treating it as a holy space. That God is with you, not just because you were in a building but because you're in your home and we believe that the Spirit lives within us and that Jesus is accessible to us no matter where we are. That is one of the most amazing things of the cross is that Jesus is now accessible, that God is now accessible no matter where we are. Instead of going to the temple, instead of just praying and the holy priest going behind the curtain, that when Jesus died, the curtain, opened up the Holy of Holies, the place where God was meant to dwell, and that became accessible to all of us at any time. So be the home church. Be the church in the home. And allow God to speak to you no matter where you are. Now as we continue in this letter, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon who fled to Rome, potentially having taken money or property. I think that's really interesting to note as they've looked into the history of these things and that Philemon, uh, being the slave owner, would have had multiple slaves. And it wasn't a negative at the time. That was actually how the Roman economy worked. But Philemon, or Onesimus took something and tried to run away, start a new life, do something different. And yet, by the providence of God, while in Rome, Onesimus connects with Paul and the faith grown in him, found in him, developed in him, that he becomes a follower of Christ. Now, Paul enjoyed Onesimus' company deeply. In verse 12, it says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So Paul and Onesimus got close. They spent a lot of time together. But Paul knew that the relationship and the wrongdoing of Onesimus needed to be repaired for both men, meaning Onesimus and Philemon, that there was this lingering resentment, tension, 
issue that needed to be resolved so that there would be freedom in their lives. And that is truly something that should resemble those that follow Christ, that we are people of freedom because we have hope, because we have forgiveness, both for ourselves, but that we are taught to forgive others. Set with worry and strife and grief about a certain situation, but we can let things go knowing that God will take care of it, or that we can learn to let things go and not hold on for that vindication, but we would love God's creation, just as God has commanded us to. So Paul knew this relationship needed to be transformed. Verse 16 talks about becoming more than a bondservant, more than a slave. It says this, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Now Paul goes on to say, especially to me. So so Paul knew that Onesimus was a slave, that he was Philemon's slave, that he had ran away, but he grew with him and the faith grew. And so especially a brother to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord, that they were on more equal footing because of faith in the Father and in Jesus. Now, it's important as we read this book to understand what slavery looked like in the New Testament. Because again, it's very different from our understanding of slavery. We, we know that it is not healthy, that it is not right, that there were many that were oppressed and broken. And I'm not speaking joyfully into slavery. But it was common. It was essentially how the Roman Empire survived for so long. And slavery forms the backdrop of Philemon, and it's impossible to fully appreciate the book without some understanding of slavery in the Roman Empire. Because to send Onesimus back to Philemon alone would have actually exposed Onesimus to danger of being caught by slave catchers. So Paul waited until he could send uh, Tychius or Tychicus or however you want to pronounce it with his letters um, to give Onesimus some safety Because there was still a great risk in returning a slave to a master. But at least this way, there might not be slave catchers that picked him up and he could have been put into some other form of punishment or slavery. J.B. Lightfoot says this, he says, Roman law practically imposed no limits to the power of the master over his slave. The alternative of life or death rested solely with Philemon. And slaves were crucified for far lighter crimes or far lighter offenses than this. A thief and a runaway, or as a thief and a runaway, he had no claim to forgiveness. For, Philemon, or for Onesimus to be going back to Philemon, being willing to risk punishment or, or, or uh, torture or, or anything that Philemon could come up with really speaks of the genuineness of his faith. That he so he has no right to, but both being brothers in faith. That master and, and slave are equal in the eyes of Christ, no matter what the Roman government may say. We are all brothers and sisters in the faith. So slavery was taken for granted as, as a normal part of life in the ancient world. And, and most slaves were actually war captives. As the Roman Empire expanded, that's when they brought in more slaves to, to feed their economy. 
By the time of the New Testament, however, most slaves were actually born into slavery. Who knows where Onesimus actually came from? He was likely born into his position. And the number of slaves was actually enormous, making up as much as one-third of the population of the Roman Empire. And because of that, Romans lived in constant fear of a slave uprising. That's why slave catchers existed. That's why there was no rule on what a master could do to the slave, because they needed to keep them oppressed. They needed to keep them brought down and not on equal footing, because if there was some sort of insurrection or rising up, there's a large amount of slaves, and it would absolutely ruin the Roman Empire. Now, slaves were not actually considered persons even under the law, but chattel or a property of their owners. They could be sold or exchanged or given away or seized uh, to pay a master's debt. A slave had no right to, legal right to even marriage, and slow, slave cohabitation was regulated by the masters. And as already noted, masters had unlimited power to punish their slaves. And the Roman writer um, Juvenal told of a wealthy woman who ordered the crucifixion of a slave and refused to give any reason except for her own pleasure. This is the world Onesimus lives in. This is what he tried to flee and and run away, not necessarily on the most positive grounds, but he took a risk and a chance because if he was ever caught, the level of punishment could be whatever the master dreamed up. So to come and find relationship um, with Paul and and to be led into a relationship with Jesus, uh, find a faith that would convict him to go back to his master is absolutely life-changing. And really putting a trust in God that his life would be taken care of to return to his master. Not to continue to hide with Paul or to run and, and serve other, some other church and be in like a witness protection program kind of thing where he's just hiding a, away, but to go back and face up for his wrongdoing and to believe that forgiveness could be given to him even though it's not owed him. Man, that speaks so deeply of a faith in Jesus. And I think that really resembles something that we should have, that while forgiveness is never owed us, we still go to the cross, we still go to the Father and Jesus and ask for forgiveness, believing that the care of our God is there, trusting that there would be more to our life through redemption, forgiveness, through a changing of heart for all these things that are out of our control and believing that our God is merciful and doesn't just want to punish us but wants to care for us and grow us. Onesimus is a great example of this. By the New Testament era, Slavery was beginning to change. Hadn't completely changed, but it was beginning to change. Treatment of slaves was improving in part because the masters had come to realize that content worked better. If you're happy in your job, you're going to do a lot more. You're going to do a better job. Right? Not try and run away. Slaves were often better off than free men. They were assured of food and clothing and shelter, while poor free men often slept in the streets or in cheap housing. 
Free men had no job security and could lose their livelihood in times of economic duress. Many slaves ate and dressed as well as freemen because a slave is a representation of their master. So if a slave just looks trash and horrible and wrecked, then it looks like a, a master has no money to actually care for him. may not have owned anything. They had a over their head. They had food in their belly. They had clothes. They had a security that a free man didn't. And owners often held out the hope of freedom uh, to hire their slaves to work better. But many slaves would actually not have taken their freedom if it had been offered to them because their employment was beneficial. Once they left a master, they'd have to go and find all these things on their own that they wouldn't have need to even think about before. Because it's rare that there was one slave. It was a household of slaves. They might not have even had to, have to cook for themselves because the, uh, one slave would be there for cleaning. Like all these things, that it would be actually a household. And it's interesting to note that, the new, that in the New Testament, nowhere, nowhere is there an attack on slavery directly. Subtly around it, as we'll see in this book of Philemon. But nowhere is slavery actually attacked in the New Testament. Had Jesus and the apostles done, apostles done so, the result was absolute chaos. Any slave insurrection would have been brutally and the slaves would have just been massacred. And the gospel would have been swallowed up with this message of social reform. Christianity, however the faith, the way, the understanding of the teachings of Jesus. These, however, sowed the seeds of the destruction of slavery. It would be destroyed not by social upheaval, but by changed hearts. And the book of Philemon illustrates that principle. Paul does not order Onesimus or teach but by ordering Philemon to as a brother, Paul eliminated the abuses of slavery. It changed the playing field. It doesn't say slavery is wrong. It doesn't say you need to free your, all your slaves. But it says treat them as fellow brothers in Christ. And once you add that family mentality, you can't change, treat people in way. people identity and meaning so that while you might serve the meal you worshiped okay i think that's very interesting and a change i I think that there are many of us that are still in some form of slavery in this world whether it's to credit card companies whether it's to addictions whether it's just a sense of poverty that we we owe something to someone We are all equal in the faith. We're all brothers and sisters. We all come to God in the same way with the same prayers. The faith puts us on equal ground. Comments this, the principles of the gospel not only curtail these abuses, but destroy thing itself, for it could not exist without its abuses. What is slavery without abuse? It's almost like a job. 
When you go to your job, someone tells you what to do and you produce something for them and do something for them. I mean, unpaid internship, that. But we don't look at it in the same way because the abuse doesn't exist. We don't think the abuse should be there. We don't believe in the abuse. So if one who forgives, that's the subtlety of this book, of one who forgives, John MacArthur says this, Of the the shortest of Paul's inspired writings, it is the only one of the prison epistles addressed to an individual. It does not reach the doctrinal heights of the others of Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians. It does deal with a vitally important issue. Paul takes the truth that Christians are to forgive each other. This is first taught in the New Testament by our Lord himself in the Gospel of Matthew and applies to a specific situation. The book of Philemon doesn't deal with doctrinal, but more experiential. How are you going to live out your faith? Philemon, what are you doing with your faith? I'm not just going to teach you about it, but I want you to act it out. In Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 to 7, God describes himself to Moses as this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is what the book of Philemon is about, the letter of Philemon that Paul is asking for forgiveness from Philemon, just as God did for us. This theme runs out in scriptures. We can see it in Proverbs 21.1 and 85.23 and 134. We can see it in Isaiah 43.25, 55.7, Jeremiah 33.8, Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14, and 1 John 1.9 and 2.12. This concept of God steadfast for love for thousands, forgiving iniquity of discretion and as John MacArthur said, I think it is best Luke 15, 11, 32. He used Matthew, but I, I, I prefer the way, or I'm going to use Luke today for you. And it's the story of the prodigal son. To paraphrase the story, it's this. We have, he has two sons and he has a lot of wealth. One day the youngest son comes to the father and says, I want what's owed to me. I want inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you die. And so the father says, okay, here's the cash value. And the son takes it and goes off to do his own thing. He wastes it. He spends it on earthly pleasures and, and he finds himself with absolutely nothing. He blew it all. So then he finds himself so hungry that he begins to even look at the slop of pigs, the refuse, the garbage that is just thrown to pigs. And he's like, this looks appealing to me. You know, the slaves in the father's house better than this. 
This is a great parallel back to what slaves were like in the New Testament. They had it better than a free man who was poor. And so we have this son that is a free man and he is poor. And he is looking at what the slaves have and says, my father treats them better and they have more. And so I will go back and just plead with my father. Now the father named up looking at his son. He always wanted to see him. In the vein of Mother's Day, I can imagine the mother is there looking just as much as the father missing her son, wanting her. So the father's there on the roof of the house looking out and he sees his son in the distance and the son is practicing whatever he for forgiveness to just fall at his father and say, let me in, let me come back. I, I'm Just give me the smallest portion of grace and mercy and let me be one of your servants, your slaves. And yet the father runs out to him and gets, just runs out to him and wraps him in his arms and, and he gives him his cloak and, and, and says, you are my son. You were found. I love you. And he brings him home and he throws a feast. He celebrates that he has come home. And we have an older brother that sees all of this and is just absolutely jealous. Are you kidding me, Dad? I've been here working so hard the entire time. I've been doing everything that's right. And you're throwing this kid a party? And the father says, everything is still yours. Everything I own is still yours. He's already had his inheritance. There's nothing more for him. But he came home. And that is so important to love him. And it's here that I want to end this morning and kind of set the tone for the next three weeks. A story of forgiveness and redemption, not merited or yearned, earned, sorry, yet freely given. I can imagine that the early church would know the teachings of Jesus maybe more devoutly than we do. No collection of Testament writings that And remembering the teachings of Jesus, the new way that they were following. I can imagine these stories were told time and time again. I can imagine as Philemon reads this letter and people hear it, the story of the prodigal son would be coming to mind. That an back, that he should be forgiven, that he should be loved, that he should be cared for. The father did. Not to be like the older son, to be jealous, to be vindictive. But that someone has come home and that is something that should be celebrated. I believe that we kind of take, or take for granted at least, the canonical collection of the scripture. Our, what we call the Holy Bible. We don't debate it for its legitimacy, the books, what, what, what's in it. But this time in Christian history, we just say, this is the inspired word of God. But it's interesting to note that at only two points, at only two points of church history, has the Pauline authorship of Philemon been seriously questioned. Meaning this book isn't one that people said, is it real? Should it be there? They've said, this is, this is it. This is from Paul. This was a letter from Paul to Philemon. This is the real deal. 
the two reasons that it was debated are, are there were some theological disputes in the fourth century and they questioned its authorship because it had no doctrine. And then some radical 19th century critics, they were just rejecting Paul's authorship of all of the prison epistles and they felt to, uh, compelled to reject Philemon as well. But all of this reasoning is kind of subjective and has no real factual basis. In fact, the very lack of doctrine content makes it difficult to imagine a motive for forgery. The simplicity of this letter almost gives it more authenticity. That it's just a teacher speaking to those who had taught before. A friend pleading for the life of another in the faith. Throughout the letter of Philemon, or to Philemon, and the church that met in his house, you can hear the tension and the tone of the teachings found in the prodigal son. While Paul didn't order, he urged Philemon to take the stance of the father in forgiveness and celebration of one who was lost but is now found. And also in the context of Anisimus, also one that was useless becoming useful, which is the literal meaning of Anisimus' name, one who is useful. So the story, it, and this is speaking of the prodigal son, but again, I really believe you can overlay this into Philemon. But this story illustrates how God, re represented in the story by the father, he forgives eagerly, totally, and lavishly. We could say, in a sense, that God is never more like himself when he forgives. And if God is never more like himself when he forgives, man is never more like God than when he forgives. Let me say that again. Man is never more like God than when he forgives. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression to forgive. It's his glory to forgive. So let me end with this. Paradoxically, confusingly, however you want to put it, but Christians are fully forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 says that. But we still need ongoing forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says that. So Christians are already fully forgiven. We still need ongoing forgiveness. And that Christians are to forgive each other as God has forgiven them is the underlying theme of Philemon. The need to forgive never ends. While the Father has forgiven us, we need to forgive others around us. Let me pray. Jesus, this day we come to you for your example for your understanding of forgiveness, which is beyond what we might know or feel or comprehend. Lead us to a place where we find freedom in forgiveness. That by forgiving others, we release a tension and an aggravation that is just an irritant inside of us. Let us be led by your spirit to forgive those around us to pour into this world 
Let us show the world love as you have showed love to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.